Hello, hello, hello. Amp here, and today's podcast is exciting. It's it's something different, and it is with one of the one of the one of the people I've looked up to on uh, the YouTube platform and just the sex education realm for a very long time. That is right, Hannah Witten. Now, before we get into the topic of today, though, we couldn't start this episode without a nice little safe word. And today's safe word is daddy because because he's he's not here today welcome back hi y'all it's me amp and while there is no daddy today's special guest is a northerner living in london making online content for over 10 years that is correct it is hannah witten now hannah if you guys are not familiar is an amazing content creator both on and off youtube and whether covering taboo topics um around like sex education and sex positive conversations like uh the the series that i fell in love with hannah over was uh the drunk advice episodes that she does she also has an amazing series called the hormone diaries and as a male with a penis that doesn't experience some of these um sex-related, hormone-driven conversations. I especially love and appreciate the education that she does on the internet, as well as she has written two books, one in 2017 called Doing It, a young adult book about sex and relationships, and another in 2019 called The Hormone Diaries, coinciding with that series that she does, a young adult guide to periods, menstruation, and contraception. With a weekly corresponding podcast appropriately called Doing It, Hannah chats with different guests of all kinds with sex, relationships, love, and just bodies in general, always a part of the conversation. And while I can uh, attest that I was just on the podcast, I hope that you not only listen to this really fun sex positive conversation where we talk about pleasure and we talk about kinks and we talk about what makes sex educators sex educators and also answering some of your questions, please do also go check out the Doing It podcast where I was a guest and we talked about things like puppy play and kink and how it's not always inherently sexual. Beyond that, Hannah's just a wonderful ambassador of all kinds and does so much good work in the UK for young people's sexual health. So I hope that you can join me today, whether young, old, or somewhere in between, and enjoy this conversation with Hannah. And while sex can be scary and spooky and ooky spooky, this holiday season these halloween we are actually sponsored by again manscape the lovely below the belt grooming site that gives you not only some power over your pubes but all sorts of hair with their lawnmower 4.0 to their weed whacker which gets that nose that gets the ears and make sure that you're not going to cut yourself anywhere that's important especially below the belt if you'd like to get your own deal with today's sponsor manscape you can go to manscape.com use offer code watts 20 to get your own 20% off and free shipping for the perfect performance package. And again, for in there, you're going to get some nice nail care. You're going to get some hair care in the form of the lawnmower or even the weed whacker as well as deodorizers for not only your balls, but just a nice lotion to make sure your potions are feeling good. Again, thank you again, Manscaped, today for sponsoring the episode. They've kept my uh, chastity and below the belt needs perfectly in place, but also they're great for hair on all over your body i've definitely shaved down some boys uh under the pits Ooh, the stomachs Ooh, the pubes the leg hair i've even well we did we did a little bit of trimming my, my barber actually used my manscape once besides the point though it is backed by barbers all over california san francisco and there's over two million people that use manscape so check them out down in the comments description below and your hair will thank you thank you manscape without further ado let's get on to the conversation and welcome to the show, the the lovely, the beautiful, the the the, the fascinating and talented Hannah Witten. 
How are you doing? Welcome. (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) Of course. I mean, well, you just had me on your show where we talked about and got into some kinky topics. Mm -hmm. Surprise, surprise. Um, But I'm happy to have you here on the show. We kind of talked about it. It's a podcast collab. Oh, yeah. Oh, do you remember collabs when you used to be able to collab in person with like 10 different people? Oh, my goodness. Chaos. (laughs) And then trying to produce 10 different people at the same. No. Um, (laughs) But uh, Hannah and I are here to talk about some sex and sex education today. We had just finished it on Doing It, which is your podcast, where we Mm kind of broke down that we've never met before, but it feels like we've met so many different times because that's just how content works. How's your day going? Especially the sex ed content world. Oh, yeah. No, because you you were constantly not only doing the work yourself, but probably watching the work of everyone else just to be like, am am I? Am am I I doing it right? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But you asked how my day was. My day, uh, I say was because uh, time difference. It is the evening uh, for me. Um, But my day has been lovely. Um, I had a nap before our back-to-back recordings. And I'm probably going to have a nap after this because I've got more recordings this afternoon I'm doing. So, yay. Love it. Yay. Isn't it a holiday? It's actually a holiday when we're filming this, I think. It's Labor Day, right? For us. Not it. Well, we don't have that. Not for you. Not for you. Oh, that's right. Today is a working day. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I schedule in your podcast recordings? Oh, no, no, no. Do not apologize. Do not. As a content creator, we're always working. Always. So on Labor Day, you got to labor. So it's in the name, it, surely. It no. is. It is. But then no one's working. I don't know on it, anything. So I don't yeah. either. I'm I'm an American, and I don't I don't think about holidays <laughs> beyond how they affect me. Apparently, so apologies. Yeah. My uh, partner has a normal job, and so I mostly I'm reminded that um, our like bank holidays exist through him, uh, and then I'm like, ah, I should probably take that day off too, so we can hang out. <laughs> Well, Hannah, uh, before we get into the the nitty gritty and uh, Mm -hmm. talk about sex, I would love for you to just kind of explain and tell everyone who you are in your own words in case we might have missed something. Yeah. So I, like you, I'm a sex educator, online content creator, have been doing this shindig for like 10 years. (laughs) Um, Just love talking about sex and nerding out about it and just feel very passionately about um, this being vital information, (laughs) um, for young people and adults, um, and trying to destigmatize a lot of these kinds of conversations in this sex negative world that we live in. Um, but also just like trying to have a good time (laughs) as well. (laughs) Agreed. And I, I actually, I have yeah. some interesting questions for later from from viewers, but um, I'm Ooh. curious also while we're on the the topic of of doing sex education, like what what inspired you to to do it? Like, yeah, um, so it was uh, watching sex ed YouTube. <laughs> Same. It was basically I was I was a lost and confused like 19 year old. Um, and basically was getting most of my sex education from YouTube videos. And I was just like, how was I not taught this? This is outrageous. Mm-hmm. And so it was this kind of like righteous anger that I felt. And then also this like overly confident 19 year old who would, who also was just getting into YouTube and like making other videos as well. I was just like, well, I feel very comfortable talking about sex and 
a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. And I had gotten to the point where like I had a very small channel. It was mostly like young women that were watching my videos according to the YouTube analytics. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> but genuinely, that was like my vibe. Uh, oh, this is so funny because in the episode that we did for doing it, you were referencing spider the bite. spider bite. And then I just <laughs> and then I just did a Spider-Man reference. Um but yeah, um, it was very much like even, I don't know, maybe I had like a thousand subscribers or something at that point, but I just really was just like, okay, I, there are people watching me and like, what good can I put out into the world with this like platform that I have? Um, and talking about sex seemed to be the thing that I was like drawn to, mm-hmm. like it, like for lack of a better word it was my calling (laughs) no I get it yeah but it's interesting because when I think about like pre-19 of like were there any signs like in my teenage years that this was a thing that like I would do I suddenly found so many like I got in an argument with my uh RE teacher which in the UK is like religious education Mm -hmm. um because uh when they wouldn't teach us about contraception, we did had a whole lesson on like healthy relationships. And I went to a Catholic college and we were all, you know, we're 17, 18 years old and they wouldn't teach about contraception. And I was like, we're all having sex. Like, like, why would you teach us this? And then when I was even younger, I remember like after school, like, um, you know, you'd have friends over after school and you'd all be hanging out. And I remember like showing, um, boys, um, boys ew (laughs) I remember like showing boys how tampons and pads worked and I would like run a tampon under a tap in the sink and I'd be like look this is how it expands and I'm like 14 years old like teaching my classmates about periods and stuff and I was like oh yeah so clearly there's like there was something going on there (laughs) well clearly there's a a want and a need to learn absolutely yeah and teaching other people as well it's like Mm. you need to know this boys like come on (laughs) No, I I feel I feel I resonate with that energy as well as someone who grew up Catholic, went to Catholic school oh. for far too long, um, <laughs> never got any education besides the clinical. This is what a penis is. I never had any education growing up for like what women had. What is a vagina? Like yeah. never broke that down. They split us up: boys in this class, girls in this class. Watch this video mm-hmm. that's all about scare and ah, you're gonna get, mm-hmm. you're gonna have sex and you're gonna die and never <laughs> never covered anything else. Which kind of yeah, leads us kinda... into uh, a, a good part of today's conversation, which is like we wanted to talk about pleasure. And yeah. it sounds like you and I both had that lack thereof, I guess, uh, or just mm-hmm. multiple. I don't know about you, but like mine was just scare tactics. Like yeah. don't have sex because you're going to catch this or that. Oh, it only exists for babies and you only do it when you're <laughs> married. And yeah, dude. mine was like a bit less than that. Like they did when we were like 14, 15, they did um, teach us like how to put on a condom kind of thing Mm -hmm. and um, different kinds of contraception. But then at the same time, they showed us like a PowerPoint presentation of really graphic photos of genitals that had untreated STIs. Mm -hmm. And I remember it took me years to unlearn the fact that like, basically for years, I was so scared by that presentation that I was like, people who get STIs are stupid and dirty and disgusting. Like that was the idea that I had. And to be Mm -hmm. honest, 
that is an idea that is still so prevalent and is one of the reasons why STIs are still so stigmatized and people don't go and get tested because of that stigma. And I, I thought that because of that damn presentation where I was like, oh my God, there was no like, Mm. Hey, do you know what? Half of people will get an STI at some point. It happens. Here's what you can do. Here's how you can prevent it. Here's how to have conversations about it. Here's how you can get an appointment in an STI clinic. Also, there are at-home test kits. Like, mm-hmm. ah, it, I'm it, so mad about it. It makes me want to scream just as just <laughs> as well. Like that's why I started doing the YouTube stuff. Is like because I I I mean, and I've, I've made it very clear. Like I've done stuff that was stupid and dangerous in my sexual history because of the lack of actual education. Mm-hmm. And like looking back, like the content I created was, what do I wish I would have had at that age when I started becoming sexually active? Like, mm-hmm. what am I not mm-hmm. learning as a, as a gay queer person? Like mm. cleaning out, you know, talking about pleasure, talking about the fact that lube, condoms, <laughs> HIV, like there are so many states still in, in the United States that don't don't talk about any of that or are yep. very abstinence driven. And it mm-hmm. drives me crazy. Because mm-hmm. we have the stats that say, you know, when we teach LGBTQ plus stuff related to health in classes, it makes everyone a bit nicer and kinder, less <laughs> bullying. Like, yeah. it's good for us all. So I hear that. And the research also shows that um, if young people get uh, inclusive, comprehensive sex education, they actually then delay their first sexual experience. Mm-hmm. So these people who are scared about like, oh, if you teach the kids about sex and suddenly they'll all start having sex. It's like actually the opposite. Correct. Happens. Yep. Because then <laughs> they find actually, porn yeah. and then they think that's education <laughs> and that's a whole other book in itself. That's just. Yeah. Ah. Um, but it's funny because when you were talking about stats, like we just did a video on the most Google terms during quarantine about like sex and education. Oh my God, what were they? Literally everything. I think everything you just said, first of all, uh, finding an STI clinic or how to how to find a, a clinic to get uh-huh. tested, mm-hmm. how to put on a condom. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think chlamydia, what were the symptoms of chlamydia were like the, was like the top search term yeah. during quarantine, which doesn't surprise me. Um, and it was just, it was fascinating what people were Googling. And then also- mm-hmm. How to measure this the penis. That was for whatever reason, that was a top trending term during quarantine. People were really bored during quarantine, I think. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> let's check my STI status and also measure my dick whilst we're at it. <laughs> but then like ghosting and like breadcrumb. Do you know mm-hmm. what breadcrumbing is? I just learned what that was. Oh, um, oh my God, it's been so long since I've been on the dating scene. Oh. But um, is it where you I I'm imagining this from what the metaphor is, but like you leave, you're leaving a trail of breadcrumbs, but you're never like really giving somebody like what they want and what they desire. You're just like, just giving them scraps basically, but it, but it keeps them following along until they get to the house where they die. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the end of the story. It never ends well. It doesn't end well. No, no. It's like, it's like early ghosting pretty much. Yeah. The lesson to learn is to actually just like stop following those breadcrumbs because the person at the end of the breadcrumbs does not have your best interest in heart. And might be a witch. Witch, witch, And might be a witch. (laughs) (laughs) And not the good kind. No. (laughs) Not a pleasurable uh, encounter, which again, pleasure. How, so pleasure. Set the stage. What, what do you... (laughs) When you hear the word pleasure, I know I know what I think, but like what do you see or think when you hear the word pleasure? So, 
I, I'll be honest. I think because of just how ingrained a lot of stuff (laughs) (laughs) is in terms of like, um, kind of the the balance between like sex negativity but then also living in a really sexualized society at the same time like having like both of those things play into each other when i hear the word pleasure my brain automatically jumps to sexual pleasure sure whereas what i am trying to do more in my life is just kind of like thinking about pleasure just like as an all-encompassing not just sexual but just like joyful thing things mm-hmm. that feel good taste good smell good uh look good uh and and then also just like make me feel good on the inside as well and like um things that bring me joy and connection um all of these yeah. things maybe they're sexual maybe they're not who knows I, I i agree i mean pleasure is literally the feeling of enjoyment or satisfaction and mm. i think I think our our societies, especially around sex, hear that word and then immediately go to something like erotic or sexual mm-hmm. or perverse mm-hmm. or maybe even dirty for whatever reason. Yeah. But if you yeah. think about even non-sexual pleasure, we're led to believe that we should feel guilty about them because exactly. there's the whole like, guilty pleasure um, when actually no pleasure we should be feeling guilty about. Unless, of course, it's pleasure at the expense of somebody else without their consent, uh, then you should feel bad about that. (laughs) (laughs) Not good. Before Um, this podcast, I literally like there's this thing called wholesome memes on Twitter. Literally (laughs) just tweeted like that that thing that 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 thing that you did where you weren't doing anything, but you got pleasure is still a good like it's a good thing to to be okay not doing anything and feeling pleasure from that. Like our society is so. Because like I feel this as well as someone who's a workaholic, which I feel mm-hmm. like you might understand that as a content creator, you're always just wanting to work on something. Mm-hmm. The day that I take off, as I'm working on a holiday in America, the day that yeah. I take off, I feel so I feel bad. I feel bad for for right? taking the time to have pleasure in just doing nothing. Yeah, and it's just I hate our society for that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's so ingrained in us, and this kind of like seeps into our sexual lives Mm -hmm. but one of the reasons why i love talking about like topics around sex is because you can then so easily slide into these topics about like our society as a whole Mm -hmm. um because it's so interconnected but like you said like we live in a capitalist society that values productivity over personhood Mm -hmm. um and and it's like you get rewarded for pushing through you get rewarded for making yourself uncomfortable you get rewarded for like the hustle um and then we're made to feel guilty when we do something for ourselves yeah that is purely about our own pleasure like if you think about words that we would use to describe someone who um like dedicates time to their own pleasure like words that come to mind for me are like they're self-indulgent, mm-hmm. they're selfish, they are, yeah, it's just that kind of like that indulgence of like thinking that it's like they don't deserve that. It's like it's it's too much kind of thing. But yeah. I'm like, no, we deserve so much more pleasure in our lives. Agreed. 
And I think to that, there's a lot of projection that comes into the conversation when when other people are judging someone in that negative way because of mm. the pleasure that they're having. That I find comes from a place of stigma, maybe on that person and themselves. They maybe they feel a certain stigmatization or a jealousy that you're seeing someone else happy in, let's say doing some kinky stuff that you feel a little dirty about, you know, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But like, it's when we, when, it's when we decompress and, and actually pull back the curtain, you know, especially when it comes to like sex and talking about pleasure. It's like, it's good to feel pleasure. We should yeah. all feel pleasure. We should all talk about this. It's not a dirty thing. And mm -hmm. why aren't you enjoying that? Is it because you were raised Catholic and you have lots of Catholic guilt? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can speak to years and years of that personally. But, mm -hmm. but even, even today, I still find there will be times where I'm like, we talked about like jerking off and like feeling good about it. But then like, I'll look at it and be like, oh my God, I'm disgusting. What did I just <laughs> jerk off to? You know, but that's okay to feel like that. Cause like I, I'm down, I'm getting yeah. dirty in a, in a sex positive way that makes me feel good. That doesn't harm anyone that is mm -hmm. just enjoying my body and what I'm into. Um, yeah. Normalize pleasure. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And normalize pleasure at things that are kind of fucked up <laughs> <laughs> so long you know as I mean? yeah so long as you're not like, causing harm you know you're being exactly. respectful and yeah yeah but because a lot of the time some of the things that in a, in a sexual context the things that do bring us pleasure is because it's taboo like Correct. literally for that reason and 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 sometimes it's like no other like grand thing other than like the the fact that is taboo makes it hot yeah that, uh, that is literally the basis of our entire channel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's why, and, and I'm sure you find people fascinating when it comes to sex, but I just find people incredibly fascinating on like what turns them on. When, you, when people mm -hmm. are open to that conversation and you're mm -hmm. able to just be like, I understand that this thing turns me on. Like I like bondage and, and whatnot in this regard. And this person likes maybe diapers or, or fisting or some other, what I would consider a taboo thing. But it's, mm -hmm. they're just getting the same thing out of it. It's it's drawing mm -hmm. those parallels when you're having those conversations that I just find, again, fascinating. Fasc humans are fascinating. Humans are fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I know. I get so nosy sometimes. I'm just like, tell me all your deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> and uh, same. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's all just about people's desires and what they want. Mm -hmm. And and I find it fascinating just and, and, and nice to have a conversation with you because like I've watched your content for years and as, as a person with a penis that doesn't and didn't have an education that, that talked about, first of all, pleasure or the, the female anatomy, um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious, like what, hmm, how do I, how do I phrase this question? What do you want to ask? Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Just like, say. Oh. <laughs> how do you, how do you become a professional in sexual health? Like, how did you, how did you get there? Like what, mm. what drove you to that, that place where you felt comfortable talking to people that might need like guidance? Yeah, honestly, like just driven mostly by curiosity, I think, mm -hmm. uh, which is always a good place to start because for me, curiosity, um, is non-judgmental, um, first and foremost, like you're, you're exploring something with no, like preconceived notions with no agenda you're just like let's find out about this thing <laughs> <laughs> um so it was just kind of like my own the like 
journey of like exploring all of that kind of stuff. Um, but also like on a weird note, I remember when I, so I have a chronic illness called ulcerative colitis and I've had it since I was seven. Um, and I had a really bad flare up when I was 12 years old. And I remember my doctor saying to me, they were like, do you bottle up your feelings or do you like talk about stuff with your friends? And I was like, oh, I bottle everything up. Like at this stage, like, you know, I would, I'd crush on people like all the time, but would I say anything to anyone? No, I was like 12 <laughs> years old and it was embarrassing having crushes on people. Um, but my doctor was literally like, maybe try and like open up to your friends a bit and stuff. Oh. Um, because there's like a, like a, a mental connection with uh, ulcerative colitis in terms of like stress can um, like trigger symptoms basically. Sure. Um, and so he thought that like me kind of like not being open about what I was feeling was like just basically just causing my body just like under like stress. Oh. <laughs> um, and so literally doctor's orders. I I don't know if it was like immediately after that conversation, but I do like, I remember there just being this like watershed moment in my life of like, I used to keep secrets all the time, would never tell anyone how I was feeling. And then suddenly by the time I was 19, suddenly I was like a complete oversharer and everyone <laughs> knew my business. And when I was looking back on it, I was like, maybe that was the turning point. That was the spider bite. <laughs> that was the spider bite of just like, you got to start telling people your business. <laughs> so I think, that was kind of like just the practice of that kind of got me comfortable talking about these things. And I think a lot of it does come down to practice as well. I think mm. it's like, we, we are really scared. Um, if we've never experienced something before, um, of like what another person's reaction is going to be to like telling them what you're into, telling them what your kink is or asking somebody out. Sure. And like, we are terrified of any kind of rejection, whether we, we're asking something of them or if we're just telling them something. And ultimately what we're asking for is like an understanding and acceptance from them. Like mm -hmm. we're scared that we're not going to get that. But what I found was the more I opened up to people, the more people surprised me in that mm -hmm. they were great and they were really accepting and really non-judgmental and uh also kind of curious and like would offer support or um well whatever it was or even if I it was someone I had a crush on and I was asking them out and I got rejected it was never like harsh mm. you know like yeah. people are still good people for the most part <laughs> <laughs> um and so I think a lot of it was also that experience of just being like I now know that when I talk about these things, like it's going to be okay. <laughs> sure. Which sometimes is really hard to internalize unless you actually have that, like that data set behind you of like, it was fine before when I told someone this thing, so I can do it again. Yeah. And we kind of touched on that during, during your podcast coming out happens in, in multiple ways. Like, mm. and, and for kinky people specifically, like we come out, all the time when it when it comes to like what we're into and just letting people know but i think i think there's something to that is like communicating with people is a good thing like at the very heart yeah. of it it teaches you how to just talk about your feelings whether it's pleasure or not whether whether it's just interest that you want to share with someone um communicating openly honestly is is really really pure and beautiful in that way yeah. and like 
the number of times, I guess just putting yourself out there like we do in the multiple forms, like I almost feel desensitized to to, <laughs> to coming out in that regard. Like mm-hmm. I was, I, the last week we had a very like respectable social distance little birthday party for a friend and they had invited a person or two that I didn't know and we'd start talking about, you know, business and what you do and like I'm just so un, unfazed by talking about like sex education. I make silly internet videos about sex and sex and kink and Oh really? Like, I still oh. get weird talking to strangers about what I do. I, I, I was, I was very weird about it for years, but then at this point, I'm just like, yeah, I just, I always did a bondage video. You know, we taught people how to do this knot, and they're like, <laughs> what? Yeah. I, so like hearing you talk about that, I'm like, I, yeah, I share a lot, and maybe I'm just like a little desensitized to it, but at the same time, it really does spark interesting conversations because that person yeah. kind of left the little, the little pod that we were talking in at this party went and got a drink came back and they, had, they clearly had googled stuff and then they had questions and they had so many questions <laughs> i love that that's one of my favorite things as well uh, like um a social occasion like i remember being this was years ago being at a drinks thing with a bunch of people i knew and basically i got cornered at, at one end of the table with this guy who i'd like met a few times but he was just like me and my girlfriend want to have a threesome like how do you think we should go about it like what advice do you have and was like asking me all of these questions and I was like this is amazing like I've met this guy like two times before (laughs) (laughs) and here we are having a conversation about threesomes um what fun I think when people know that you're the person who is like happy to talk about these things then you, I mean, it's, it's fun. You're that it person is. in the, in the friend group who people come to. <laughs> oh yeah. And then every once in a while you get someone that like thinks that they're sharing something completely perverse or taboo. And you're just like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You mean this you're thing? Like, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally we were in the kitchen, same, same party. And there was um some ginger root in a bowl because they were, they had ginger and mm-hmm. they were talking about like, oh, it's so bulbous and oddly shaped. I wonder if you could stick that. Up. I don't know why. Oh, that has a name, doesn't yeah, it? It does. Do you know what it is? Because I did. Oh, <laughs> if I you don't, it's fine. It. I can't remember. It's, it's called figging. When you yes. like, yeah, when you put ginger root up the butt because it gives you that weird tingly sensation. And they like, they all laughed mm-hmm. and they were like, ha ha ha. And I was like, no, that's a thing. And they were just like, wait, what? That's there was a thing for everything. <laughs> there is. There's a word, a, a fetish, a kink, some sort of paraphilia for everything. Mm-hmm. And I like being that person that can just be like, oh, is it called? It's called this, actually. And technically, it's good enough. And you just go on and on and like <laughs> and these are the health benefits. And this is how you do it safely. <laughs> if you want me to send you some resources. Exactly. Like I, <laughs> I have this video and that, but no. Um. I just I, I love talking about what makes people tick. Um, in fact, I have I have a question here from from some mm. of our listeners that said, um, if you were stuck in a room with with other people, whether they know what you're talking, a sex educator or not, what would be the first sex topic you could talk at at length about, and why? Like what oh what what God. what do you jump on top of that you're really passionate about in sex? Okay, so I think at the moment it's like responsive desire is the thing that I love talking about because it honestly like mind shift when I learned about it. And it's one of those things that when I explain it to friends and other people, it's like, oh shit, something has just clicked. 
And it's always so satisfying. One way you have that experience for yourself, but when you can like give that to other people in terms of them going, oh, okay, everything suddenly makes so much more sense now. <laughs> so can you explain? So that's that's different than like a sexual relevance, right? Or what is responsive desire Ooh, specifically? Okay. Yeah. Please, please so, educate me. Mm, <laughs> let me let me get my teacher hat on. No. Um, so um basically, um, I kind of have to talk first about like wh- what we assume desire is. Please. Um, so as a society, we assume that desire, aka sex drive, aka horniness, libido, um, strikes out of nowhere. And desire comes first, and then you have the sexy time. So in order to have the sexy time, you first need to experience the desire to have the sexy time, right? Sure. And so that is called spontaneous desire, just like struck by lightning, like I'm horny, I'm hard, I'm wet, like, Uh okay, let me masturbate or let me grab my partner so we can can do some stuff together. Um, But for the vast majority of people, that is just not how their desire works. Yeah. Um, and desire is in fact responsive, not spontaneous. So if we think of like this in the spontaneous model, it's like you experience desire first and then you experience pleasure. Whereas in the uh, responsive model, it's the other way around. So you're experiencing pleasure first and then desire emerges in response to the pleasure. Oh. Oh, so, spont- so spontaneous desire emerges in anticipation of pleasure, responsive desire in response to pleasure. And like both ways are very normal. Mm-hmm. But for the thing is, is that like the vast majority of people and the vast majority of um, desire, like especially cis women, <laughs> because <laughs> spont- well, we don't know in terms of like research, that much about trans and non-binary people, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but spontaneous desire is very much the like Hollywood porn desire of what you expect. It's like, oh, I'm horny and I must have you now kind mm-hmm. of thing. But actually the way that a lot of people experience desire is um, actually experiencing pleasure first. And so putting yourself in a situation or like creating a sexy context and then the desire emerges um which i find so helpful in terms of like being in a long-term relationship um especially if you're in a relationship which is all relationships where there's mismatched desire you're never gonna have a relationship where everyone in that relationship wants the exact kind of sex at the exact same time. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So it really helps with that understanding, like I think navigating um, desire in a relationship. And then also like there's the general narrative of like, oh, once the honeymoon phase is over, then you want sex less. And like, yes, spontaneous desire is more likely to happen in like the early stages of a relationship. Um, But that doesn't mean then once you kind of are more long-term that desire has disappeared from your relationship. Like you can still access desire for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. That's Mm -hmm. so interesting. I love, I've never heard it phrased in that way. So first of all, thank you. 
Second of all, now I'm going to have to research a bunch of things because as a demisexual person, like the the different desires, like that, Mm -hmm. that's so interesting because like I don't usually have Mm -hmm. that primary attraction to someone. Like I can look at Mm -hmm. someone and be like, you're subjectively very attractive. Yes. But like attraction and desire are also two different things. Yes, 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 yes. Which you break that down for most people and they're already like, oh, what? What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because I'm, I'm definitely have been attracted to people who I have no desire to have sex with at all yes and then i've like had desire to be sexual with people who like i wasn't attracted to i was like hmm, huh. this is interesting surprised <laughs> like, oh. yes 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 i'm surprised but i'm also oh okay yes um, okay hmm, pleasantly. all right yeah. <laughs> pleasurely surprised um, exactly <laughs> um but if you want to learn more about uh desire would highly recommend Emily Nagoski's book, Come As You Are. Yes. Yes. That is that is basically uh, my Bible <laughs> in, in terms of uh, where I first learned about responsive desire um, and a lot of uh, the kind of like sex education that she's done around that has been very instrumental. Mm-hmm. That, that's mm-hmm. a favorite of a lot of sex educators, I find. I would probably say my yeah. my Bible, um, mm-hmm. the ethical slut. I, I just bought that. I'm really excited <laughs> to read it. It's such a good book. I it's a great audio book too because it's read by one of the authors. Um, but mm. it's it's such a great book. I love it as a poly person, as a kinky person, as an ethical slut myself. Top notch. Yeah. So come as you are an ethical slut if you have not read them. Homework assignment. Yeah. People. <laughs> okay. Well, so now I definitely need to read the ethical slut. Um, Cause the ethical slut is one of those kind of like, it's also one that I hear a lot of sex educators, especially poly people being like this book and it's quite old now, but it's, I think the one I've got is like third edition mm-hmm. or something. Um, so it's really good to hear that people are still recommending it. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I, I yeah. listen to it. I, I listen to it like once a year. Usually, I have an audio. I'm an audiobook person. Mm. I'm constantly working on graphics or, or art or something like that. So, like, I need just oh, something nice. in my head. Yeah, I went but, to school yeah. for video games. I'm I'm a weird person that did video Very game cool. development for years because you you went to school for sex. Uh, at, oh, what is your degree? I'm I, it's, oh no. So so I went. Uh, I did history at university, but I oh. like did a lot of modules um, and my dissertation on sexual history. Um, oh, so okay. that makes um, sense. Yeah, that was kind of like also around the time when I was like starting making YouTube videos and stuff as well. So it was like combining everything was like coming together. Um, but I loved it. I yeah. I did a whole module that was on like the history of homosexuality, which was fascinating. I'm sure a lot. Is that is that yeah. in a video somewhere that I haven't seen yet? <gasps> um, I would love to watch that. Do you know what? I I did like, I entered this competition when I was at uni where you had to make like a 60 second video. And I so I have a 60 second video that's about the history of homosexuality in <laughs> TikTok. Um, put that on TikTok. Oh my God. I know. Oh my God. Are you so, bad at TikTok too? Yeah, terrible I'm terrible at, at TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> and it's such an old video as well. Such an old video. Um but yeah, no, it's honestly really it it was really interesting because we we did like from um like ancient Greece, ancient Rome to like contemporary, like modern mm-hmm. uh 20th, 21st century kind of stuff. Um, and one of my, 
favorite things that I learned from that, which is just useful in general for all kinds of like history kind of stuff is um, about labels. Mm. Um, And so how terms like um, that we use now to describe like LGBTQ plus people are so modern and Mm. how um, basically like even if like you find people in in the past in the ancient (laughs) past they wouldn't have maybe maybe it's like men having sex with men but queer gay like homosexual that word did not exist until the late 19th century Hmm. um and so using those labels to describe um people in the past Oh, what's the word? It's like anachronistic, I think is the word where like, because they wouldn't have thought of themselves in that way. They just would have thought of themselves as sexual people that, that had sex with men on occasion. Potentially. Potentially. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Who knows? (laughs) This is the thing. Like, unless we have their diary entries. We don't know. (laughs) We don't know. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. I might do some more research on that as well. (laughs) Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of really interesting stuff because also there's like evidence of um women who were in i think what historians have called romantic friendships because they basically would never marry men they would live together they would like write each other beautiful love letters they would potentially even be buried next to each other and this is usually like Mm -hmm. quite wealthy well-off women because if you were poor then you probably would need to marry for some kind of like security Mm -hmm. um but these women just lived together and, you know, they were just such good gal pals. Uh-huh. <laughs> Definitely nothing um, else happening there. No, <laughs> but the thing is, is that like, there's no evidence of anything else happening, which is one of the tricky things with studying sexual history mm-hmm. is that you're literally trying to study like what people were doing behind closed doors, uh, which yeah. there is often very little evidence of. And especially within like the history of homosexuality stuff, most of the evidence that historians have to study is court records. So it's when uh, certain behaviors were criminalized. Correct. Um, and so that's, so the only evidence that we have is like through the oppressor mm-hmm. rather than the people themselves who were experiencing yeah. these things. Well, yeah, you look at you look at anything stats wise in like health and science, if, it, if you're looking for a queer perspective, it almost doesn't exist because there's never studies done until until they mm-hmm. are that mm-hmm. that focus on the queer lifestyles. Yeah. Um, or even like one of my favorite anecdotes of late was um, Fire Island, which is like this kind of gay mecca here in the States where a lot of mm-hmm. gays go to celebrate during the summer and just kind of it's a place to, to go and unwind and relax and just be gay. So there's lots of sex that happens there. <laughs> So there's this weekend that happens at Fire Island and it was, it happened this last year because COVID was, you know, un, 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 unwinding just a little bit. People were vaccinated, mm-hmm. but it was seen as this huge outbreak of COVID because of course people got sick mm-hmm. only because the gays were so good at contact tracing with each other that we actually had stats on it. So where a wow. lot of people were like, oh, the gays are disgusting and terrible. They're all getting COVID. Everyone is getting COVID. We're the only ones that actually had contact tracing going because we were so good at talking to each other. Yeah. And, and we do knew you think who that's got what. because of a history of like HIV AIDS in the community in I, terms of just like that kind of precedent of. 
I think that we're very, very good at tracking and keeping tabs on each other and looking out for each other and keeping Mm -hmm. tabs on our health. So yes, absolutely. The same way that we can learn a lot from the HIV or epidemic previously that happened in our society and Mm -hmm. and apply it towards COVID. There's tons of parallels there and tons Mm -hmm. of overlaps where we just can see the disparities that exist in these marginalized communities, but how we come together and we take care of each other really well. So yeah. again, it's, it's where that, like we have data finally, but we only have the data because we're villainizing the data, if that makes sense. And that's mm-hmm. so frustrating. And you're relying on individuals in certain communities to mm-hmm. do that rather than it being like a structural thing where you can actually get better data. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> from across the population. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I have more questions. I, I'll, I'll, we'll run through a few other questions before we end Yeah, here. go for it. I just love the, the tangential conversations and, and your expertise. Um, I love the history, the etymology of like kinks, which really don't exist for a lot yeah. of them. Oh my God, the history of kinks though, that's like a whole other thing because around the same time, late 19th century when uh, homosexuality was invented, um, it was it, it, all the paraphilias were also invent, invented. <laughs> um, but it, homosexuality was very much, it, it was kind of all the same thing. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, you, you're into, you're into this thing, but you're also into men. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah. And we're villainizing both of it. So you are never going to be out. Of, yeah. And then talking yeah. about like, you know, the destigmatization in like the DSM and mm-hmm. we still have a long way to go, but we're, we're slowly learning like, oh yeah. Some kinks like fisting, is a huge kink, but nobody can really pinpoint how it became a thing. Like we can look at like ancient Egyptians and like artwork and, and maybe just mm. some hieroglyphics that like explain such pleasures. But even then, like nobody knows the exact beginning of that thing. Someone just put a fist up someone one day and was like, <laughs> it feels good. <laughs> literally, literally. Um, but uh, yeah. I do have a few quick questions that we can speed through here, which actually do revolve around uh, gay, gay related things. And one of them is just, is it unusual um, for women and females to enjoy gay porn? They are curious on our take on that. I'm curious, what is your opinion? So uh, most things are normal. (laughs) So (laughs) just just normalize that first in general. (laughs) Um, But I have heard of a lot of, um, lesbians especially but also like straight women um who are into like gay male porn um and um a lot of the reasoning so the reasoning is kind of different depending on who you ask obviously like Mm -hmm. i'm somebody who who doesn't uh like to watch gay male porn i'll watch like other queer porn but that, that just doesn't do it for me um but um what i've heard from some lesbians is that often lesbian porn still very much has, especially mainstream stuff, very much still has the straight male gaze. Mm. Whereas um, for gay male porn, it's just queer. It's just real gay. And that is what kind of is erotic and uh, like arousing to them. Yeah. Um, And in a similar vein with like straight women watching it, it could be that they're attracted to the men because they're straight women. Mm-hmm. So that's also a thing. Um, but also with th- the same thing of like, actually when they do watch straight porn or they watch lesbian porn, again, just like the straight male gaze just like doesn't sit right and feels icky. Yeah. <laughs> um, and oftentimes it is in gay porn where you can kind of be a bit more free of that. Yeah. A bit more sensual, a bit more down to earth, real like treating people like people and not just, you know, <laughs> meat 
on a, on a video. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I agree. And when I was very, I, and I still do sex work on occasion, but like when I was full-time sex work in the field, like my audience, the most engaged people online would be the the women fans of the gay porn mm. performers, which was always just not not a bad thing. Do you a, know a if it was thing. lesbians or straight women or bi women? I would say it was more queer women, but it was yeah. it was a lot more women that were very engaged and would comment and retweet and like they were huge fans and like at meet and greet things if that ever happened, it was always definitely more heavy on the 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 women who just loved gay porn and they wanted your autograph and they wanted to say hello. I and, love that. Yeah, yeah no, I, it's an interesting demographic, but it absolutely exists and is a thing. Um, mm-hmm. Got two last questions. Uh, one, <laughs> if you could add one thing to a sex ed curriculum nationwide, what would it be? So it would be pleasure. Honestly, it really would be. Um, so in the UK recently, um, we actually now have uh, in the England, actually, sorry, I should say, um, we have um, compulsory relationships and sex education in secondary schools. However, the word pleasure does not appear once on the national guidance oh. for schools and Jesus. teachers. So <laughs> I would add that right in there, please. I love that. Um, mine would probably be like, just because I find it fascinating, uh, porn is a teaching tool, like porn Ooh, literacy. Like porn. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just being able to, at, of course, at a, an appropriate age level, like you're not going to teach that to you know young kids, but like teens that are already finding all that. Just talking about like this is what porn is. This is the good stuff. Here's some destigmatizing things. Here's behind the scenes. Women are paid real well. Consent's <laughs> happening. Conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And also I think like letting young people lead those conversations because rather than, because there will be some young people who are not interested in porn and do not want to see it. And so you don't want to be doing anything like that in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, um, But letting young people lead it in terms of like, what might you come across if you were to see porn and like, what do you think of that is like, do you think that what, is in mainstream porn is representative of healthy sexual relationships, that kind of thing. I mean, yeah, yeah te- teach them things, but like treat treat teens <laughs> as teens and and a, like actual adult people that want to do things and give them and mm-hmm. prepare them for what they're going to run into, you know, because yeah. abstinence only doesn't make it better. <laughs> as doesn't <we> know. <laughs> cut it. Mm-hmm. Does not cut it. And then last but not least, um, and this question, I actually... I was, I was conflicted about this question because, yeah, and that's why I want to talk about it if you feel comfortable. Um, How does a sex educator not get trapped and consumed in objectification by an audience or by the topics that you're talking about? Which I, on one hand, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a deep question. What a spicy question. Because- As, as an educator, I, I don't know mm-hmm. how, how you interact with your audience, but because I put myself out there, I do get a lot of questions that are sometimes a little too much, or mm-hmm. I get the DMs that are three pages long and expect me to clinically like give this person an answer on like what might be the problem. And I'm not a doctor, so I can't do yeah. that. But like, yeah. how, do you, how do you balance that as a sex educator or do you have issues? Yeah. So in terms of like those examples that you give, I do not engage in like private DMs with people. Yeah. Um, 
basically just for ethical reasons and also for like just my own capacity <laughs> yeah. uh, reasons. Um, so I try and make sure that any um, like advice or information that I'm giving to people, I'm giving it in a public space where other people can be a witness to the interaction. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Um, yeah. Hold yourself accountable. Definitely, that's something that I've also just like learned from experience because um, people would ask something in DMs and then you would reply and then suddenly like, you're like, oh, I did not opt into having like a back and forth mm-hmm. conversation here. And um, you don't want to be in a situation where somebody is reliant on you for everything that they you know, need to ask about. And ultimately we want to be equipping our audience with the tools to be able to like go out in the world and like find this information themselves and have the confidence to maybe go see a medical doctor or go see a therapist kind of thing. Um, like as educators, I, I see like ed, educator work as like preventative yeah. and then like the, the kind of like the therapy work is the like well, you can definitely do preventative kind of therapy, but um, we, are like, not, we are not the one making, stop sh- like shop. We're making the therapists redundant, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're doing. No. Um, but in terms of the objectification thing, this is something that, like, as a, as a straight woman <laughs> on the internet, I don't know. I don't know if it's got anything to do with me being straight, but I, like, I'm a young woman. Uh, I, I'm white, I'm blonde. I've most certainly got pretty privilege. Um, I have a lot of uh, men who watch me and for the most part, um, they're just like my peers, right? They're like other dudes who in other circumstances, maybe we would have gone to uni together and been friends. Like, And, and so um, they're just generally curious. Maybe they like watch my content with their partners as well. I get a lot of people who like watch my content, like, um, as couples and stuff, which is really cool. Um, but then there's definitely the people, the men who are usually like, I don't know, 30, 40 years older than me because they definitely are out there. Um, yeah. And just people like commenting on my appearance. There's a lot of people Mm. that I've had to like restrict on Instagram because literally like every photo I post, it's just like Mm. them being a creep. Um, yeah. So there's just a lot of that. That's also, I think just like being a woman on the internet thing, but as a sex educator as well, there is this like extra level of like entitlement to asking you questions about your personal sex life or divulging information about their sex lives that I was like, I didn't ask for that information. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, it, no, I don't I, see a lot of it, so which is quite good. good. <laughs> um, but it is it is a weird one. I definitely find myself like censoring myself in a way in terms of like I sometimes get scared of like dressing too sexy, mm. um, and I actually kind of like tone tone that down actively online. Like I see some women on Instagram who are just like so ferociously sexy like i i do occasionally like post underwear stuff but i definitely think i like lean more towards like the cute sure <laughs> um and sometimes i'll like see these photos of these women just like being just like so unashamedly like sexual and sexy in these photos and i'm like oh i wish but also like i do not want the comments sure. like because i just i just know so i'm just like eh, nah 
I'll give that a miss. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm right there with you. Um, I appreciate the candidness of that though. Cause I think it's important mm. to, to just talk about that. Yeah. We, we are nonstop. Like I'm always thinking about sex in some kind of form because <laughs> I want to educate or teach or like someone said something and I was like, Oh, aha idea mm-hmm. for video. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I think it's important to talk about like sex educators or people too. And <laughs> we have feelings and boundaries um, yeah. And while I would love to like answer every person's DM, I'm not going to because we're not actual doctors in many cases. And we're just yeah. trying to inspire and let you know where to start pretty much. And then also there's the whole thing of like, um, just because you're a sex educator doesn't mean that like you have to give personal information about like your own sex life. Yeah. Like I can absolutely, and this took me a while to get to this point of like, I can educate other people on topics that I have no personal experience in. And that took me a long time to get to a point where I felt good about doing that. Um, I felt like, oh, in order for for this to be like legitimate information or in order for this to be authentic or whatever, like I have to have experienced this. Otherwise people will think I'm a fraud. Um, (laughs) Right. But it's real. It is. but actually, no, my my skills are not in what I personally get up to in the bedroom, in my relationship. My skills are in my ability to approach <laughs> information about sex and digest it in a certain way and then create content and communicate these ideas, these sometimes like really big ideas and try and like digest it down for other people to understand. And in a fun, playful, informative and, and well, well-researched way. If, if you don't yeah. mind me saying, because yeah. I think your content is and has been used. I've, I've absolutely used it for like checking just my own facts on like for instance, <laughs> desire and arousal, which we had a nice yeah. conversation about. So, and I don't have to have experienced figging to now tell people <laughs> that figging is a thing. We're that just exists. really good at researching. Um, oh yeah. But speaking of research, if people want to do more research, Hannah, unfortunately, I would love to talk another three hours with you. But we both have <laughs> yeah. things to get to. Where can people mm. find you? So I am Hannah Witten on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, although I'm not very active on Twitter these days, YouTube and Instagram are the ones. And then my podcast is doing it. Um, we are also on Instagram and Twitter, which is at doing it podcast. Just did an episode with AMP as well. So you can go listen to that. Um, yeah, that's me. <laughs> there we go. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for making the time and, and sitting down and chatting with us. Please do go check out Doing It. We had a really good conversation about kinks mm-hmm. on there. Um, but mm-hmm. you can find us everywhere at What's the Safe Word? I'm Pup Amp. And before we go, Hannah, what is your safe word? Oh, God. <laughs> um, okay, this isn't actually my safe word, but it's literally the first word that just popped in my head, which is mayonnaise. What the fuck? I love it. Sponsored by Craft Craft. If you wanna, if you wanna hit the, hit us in the DMs. <laughs> I do love mayonnaise. Anyway, I don't have enough time to get into how I feel about mayonnaise, but we will see y'all next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I love that. Awesome.